American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of. American Timelines. I'm Amy, and that's Joe. Hans. Yes. Beautiful. I am Joe, and we apologize for taking a week off uh, last week. We uh, Last time we... There was all this illness going on. Yeah, we put out a, a, a best of episode because I am still getting over bronchitis or the flu or something. Yeah. I'm coughing up a lung, y'all. And he's spreading it all over town, so be careful. Batten down the hatches, no, everybody. I'm not spreading all over town. You're spreading all over the house, home. I guess I should say. Yeah, but nobody else has got sick. I mean you did I a little did, bit, but a little you, bit. But you probably gave it to me in the first place. No, that's not working with those children. All right. But I'd also another development we have is another new Instagram follower that interacted with us. We get a lot of followers. Yeah. But we don't get a lot to interact with us. So thank you. Anik nine nine zero three, thank you, Nikki Warren Underwood, for um, interacting with us. She said, "Love the show." Poor Amy. <laughs> That's how I know she really listens a lot. I get yes. a lot of emails that say, "Hey, I love the show. I listen all the time." But, but you, but they're just spam bots that don't, yeah, can't say the specific. But just her saying, "Poor Amy," means you know, she definitely listens. You know, yes. I, that's that's no joke. I put it's no lie that I put you through hell. You do. It's yeah. it's a torture. It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It's a screaming nightmare that I wake up from all the time. Yeah. Well, you don't. That's a little far. I guess I don't wake up from it. That's the worst part. Wow. It's just like a nightmare that this never marriage ends. Marriage is really is a nightmare that never ends. Wow, it's a nightmare marriage. <laughs> well, no, I, I like I'm the kidding. marriage. No, no, it's okay. I'm I like the marriage. Okay. But to keep this marriage slash podcast going, yes, let's, let's talk about keep on going through 1957. Let's get these 50s done yeah. so we can make a new format of American Timelines where we just Something go to else. crime scenes yeah. and record us getting, getting kicked out of crime scenes. That's right. Maybe. Okay. But we left off in May. We started off May, but we didn't finish May. Okay. Okay. So, and Amy's got a story in June. That's right. So we'll jump right into May 16th of 1957 when uh, the Yankees, some of the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. uh, were involved in what they call the Copacabana incident. Oh. At the Copa. All right. Copacabana. You ever heard of the Copacabana? Well, it's, it's real. It's a song. It's a real place. Okay. You didn't know that? Yeah, I did. You did? Okay. Well, according to BronxPinstripes.com, which is a whole website uh, dedicated to the Yankees, uh, this incident ended up leading to Billy Martin getting traded. Oh. so serious. So, a little backstory. Casey Stengel, we've talked about him before, the manager of the Yankees. You've heard me talk about him Maybe. in the past. It, we had it, a couple it might have happened. You probably weren't listening because it's no, sports. But right. he and Billy Martin had a father-son relationship. Billy Martin was a player for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And it dated back to their days with the Oakland Oaks in the Pacific Coast League. Now, this right away sent me down a spiral 
on the internet. Because one thing about me that I don't know if even you know, Aim, and this could be a good Christmas idea for you. Oh. I am a big fan of defunct sports teams. Like, I want t-shirts of sports teams that don't Mm. exist anymore, uh, but that existed at one point. So, like, the Oakland Oaks, nobody, like, look, I want their shirt. There's How, a, do they even make shirts for those? Yeah, kinds you of can things? find them threadless as everything. Billy Martin. I, so most people know Billy Martin if you know baseball a little bit. You just know that he was always fighting and an asshole. He was a manager later, but oh. still an asshole. Okay. Uh, but he so he played under Stengel in the late '40s, and they developed a bond. And Stengel loved Billy's hard nosed attitude. And Billy, who had a rough upbringing with no father figure, looked up to Casey as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Stengel was dead set on bringing Billy to New York when he got the Yankees job, but not everybody with the Yankees was sold on Billy Martin. General manager George Weiss particularly did not like Martin's reputation of being an on-field instigator and off-field carouser. Oh. This is the 50s, keep in mind. Yeah. Weiss tried to, a drunk. Weiss tried to bring players to the Yankees that would represent the team well on and off the field. And the Yankees always, have always had this thing of clean cut, you know, even... Yeah, but like Bruce days. and... Isn't Mickey oh, Mantle yeah, a Yankee, I too? And, I well, mean, like, well, at this time, drunks? They, yeah, Mickey Mantle was. Oh. But they didn't want people fighting and, and like, in trouble off the oh, field yeah. or whatever. But anyway, but even the Yankees now, I th- still think, I don't think you can have a beard if you play for the Yankees. Like they, oh, really? You have to cut your beard. You can't have long hair. Anyway, uh, well, and, but that said, George Weiss would look past Mickey Mantle's after-hours antics because he was a triple crown-level talent. So that's oh. the whole thing. It's like he can look, you know. Yeah. Rules are different, but depending right. on how good you are. So yeah. that's why Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, those guys. Anyway, but a two fifty seven hitter, no way. Casey got Billy to the Bronx anyway, and by nineteen fifty two, he was the starting second baseman. And then came this evening, in May of nineteen fifty seven. It was the Rat Pack versus the Bowlers. See, Casey was a players' manager, and he turned a blind eye to the Yankees' Rat Pack. They called him, which included. Billy Martin, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, and Hank Bauer. As long as the team won, he didn't care what they did, really. And they won all the time. After a World Series loss in 55 and a win in 56, the Yankees got off to a slow start in 57. Weiss had been campaigning behind the scenes to trade Billy Martin, but Stengel always stood up for him. Weiss wanted Bobby Richardson and Tony Kubek to get more playing time and and, uh, reportedly warned Martin who he thought was the Rat Pack's leader, to stay out of trouble before the season started. The reality was Weiss always warned them to stay out of trouble, I guess, but they just never listened. Okay. This The incident that spelled the end for Billy happened when the gang and their wives were out celebrating his 29th birthday right here in May 17th. After a booze-filled dinner, they went to see Sammy Davis Jr. at the Copacabana nightclub. A, a spot Yankees players frequented in the 50s. Yeah. But they encountered a bunch of bowlers who were heckling Sammy Davis, and the Yankees players were pissed. Uh, there are numerous versions of what actually happened, but here's what Andrew Rotondi pieced together. Uh, Billy told the guys to stop or they'll have to go step outside. They actually ended up, instead of stepping outside, they went downstairs where they brawled. One of the bowlers, a Bronx Deli owner, ended up with a concussion and a broken jaw. And some people thought Martin punched the guy, but it was most likely, allegedly, Hank Bauer. uh, As that's who the eventual lawsuit was brought against. Bauer denied ever punching the guy, and the Yankees players never said who actually hit him. In the Billy Martin Yankeeography, there's a story about Leonard Lyons, a New York Post entertainment columnist who wrote one of the first stories about the incident. 
See, Lyons was at the club, and apparently he made a deal with Yogi, and, he's, and Lyons would sneak the Yankees out through a back entrance, let him get away, if he could get the scoop on the story the next day. So the next day, his column started, there are now three great battlefields in American history, Gettysburg, Iwo Jima, and the Copacabana nightclub. Jeez. Uh, but the police refused to take action against Bauer, so the deli owner uh, had Bauer taken into custody on citizen's arrest. And it all led to a trial. The players had to testify before a grand jury. It was terrible press for the team, uh, but this was what all Weiss needed to get rid of Martin. Um, some players were fined and some were benched. Whitey Ford was supposed to pitch the next day, but Stangle pulled him. Um, and the only one he didn't punish was Mickey Mantle. And when they asked Stangle why, he said, I'm mad at Mantle, too, for being out late. But I'm not mad enough to take a chance on losing a ball game and possibly the pennant. Uh, so, again, you know. These coaches don't, they don't really punish people if they, they yeah. play good enough. It's like the world, the rest of the world. The case was eventually thrown out for insufficient evidence and Mantle Yogi and others laugh about it today. Um, and it eventually lead to Billy Martin's trade later on. In mm. month. I'll get to that or next month. And that same day on May 17th was the prayer pilgrimage, the biggest civil rights demonstration to date. According to the King Institute, Stanford University, mm -hmm. uh, nearly 25,000 demonstrators gathered at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. for a prayer pilgrimage for freedom, featuring three hours of spiritual songs and speeches that urged the federal government to fulfill the three-year-old Brown v. Board of Education decision. Mm -hmm. The last speech of the day was reserved for Martin Luther King's Give Us the Ballot oration, which captured public attention and place him in the national spotlight as a major leader of the civil rights movement. Mm. I'll, so play, that, I'll play a little bit of okay. it. Three years ago, the Supreme Court of this nation rendered in simple eloquent and unequivocal language, a decision which will long be stenciled on the mental sheets of succeeding generations. And for all men of goodwill, this May 17th decision came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of human captivity. It came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of disinherited people throughout the world who had dared only to dream of freedom. And so really what they were, they had already ruled on Brown v. It's been three years since 1954 as Brown v. Board. But yeah, but nobody was following it. They just, yeah. So yeah. they did this and it really kind of got things moving a little bit. Good. And I found out uh, as I was read more into this, you know, I love finding when I find there's, all these civil rights leaders nobody's ever heard of. We only mm -hmm. hear Martin Luther King and uh, Bayard Rustin was instrumental in this this prayer march. Uh, and I never heard of Bayard Rustin. Have you? No. Bayard Rustin, B A Y A R D Rustin, 
Uh, he died in 1987. He was an African-American leader uh, in social movements for civil rights, socialism, nonviolence, and gay rights. Wow. He was a gay black man um, in the 50s. Wow. Um, and so... Brave. Look a brave person. Yeah. So he he did all kinds of things. He worked on uh, on the March on Washington movement, organized freedom rides, helped to organize the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, later served as an organizer for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. He worked alongside Ella Baker, uh, co-director of the Crusade for Citizenship in 1954. And before the Montgomery bus boycott, he helped organize a group called In Friendship which provided material and legal assistance to those being evicted from their tenant farms and households in Clarendon County mm. uh, and other places. Uh, so he did lots and lots of yeah. stuff. And so he's somebody, you know, he's nobody somebody ever... want to know. Yeah. What's his name again? Baird Rustin. Baird, Baird Rustin. Rustin. Yeah. So that's another civil rights leader nobody's heard of and brought to you uh, for the first time on American Timelines by that's History right. for Jerks. Not... Obviously, we're not the only people that have ever mentioned him, but I bet a lot of our listeners have never heard of him. So there you go. Ta-da. Getting the info out there. We're talking about it, y'all. On May 28, 1957, the National League approved baseball's Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants move to the U.S. West Coast. This is a big thing, and I've always wondered when the Dodgers and Giants, you know, there was the Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants, when they moved and, and why. So... Uh, this is when it happened on May 28th. They voted to approve it. Uh, but there were some conditions. Uh, this was at the mid season owners meeting in Chicago. The conditions were that first, either both teams had to move or neither could, which meant that if one team reconsidered, the other would have to change their plans as well. Mm. Second, both teams had to announce their plans before October 1st, 1957, in the end, both teams did move. The Giants hosted a farewell party at a game on September 29th, and the Dodgers formally announced their move on October 8th. West Coast baseball fans were overjoyed, and the people of New York were heartbroken. Um, and then the later later on, New York got the Mets. Uh, and so then they had the Mets and the Yankees again. All right. So there you go. And I know that you were barely tolerating that, but <laughs> I got that from history.com from an article called Baseball Owners Allow Dodgers and Giants to Move. Uh, there you go. And then we're in June of 1957 now. Yes. And did you know that the film The Fly? Yeah. I love that. The original you one. You love that movie? I started watching it again because I forgot about it. Did you watch the original one? I've been, I'm watching it right now. The black and white one? Yeah. Is there another one? Wait. Yeah, the black and white one is the fifties one. You're the Jeff Goldblum one oh, is not Jeff from Goldblum. the nineteen fifties. Oh, honey, there was a fifties movie of it. Yes. Oh, I thought it, it was, was a just... remake. Jeff Goldblum's was a remake. I did not know that. Well, I, I, Jeff Goldblum's wasn't from the fifties. No, but the, what I well, I didn't know it was from the fifties. What I was about to tell you is, oh, the film The Fly, which I thought was the Jeff Goldblum one, originated from a short story from the fifties. I don't know if the original one was from the fifties. Yes, either. it was. It was. Mm-hmm. Well, there was originally in 1957. Maybe 60s. Maybe a, it was a 60s movie. Oh, no. The but it was back then. It was black and white. changing. The film The Fly originated from a short story that was published in a 1957 issue of Playboy magazine. Say. You know I read it for the articles. 1958 film. That's it. See? Starring who? Oh, I can't remember. I don't think it was anyone... Real famous. Who was it? I don't know. 
Oh, I thought you only had it I was in front of you. you. I thought you had it in front of you. Al Hedison, Patricia Owens. Yes. He oh, Vincent it. Price is in it, of course. Oh, that's right. Anyway, so now I got to watch the original one. Yeah. Anyway, that. So I do think. Now that I think about it. Nah, never mind. I don't know if I saw it. Help me. I help me. Yeah, I didn't know it was from Playboy magazine, though. Did you? No, you I like, did not. Do you like Playboy magazine? Um, not really. Not a big fan. Naked ladies, and then I understand you have something. Yes, in June, for June of nineteen fifty-seven. So I'm going to talk about the Merry Widow of Windy Nook, and this is an English story again. Sorry, folks, it's not American. The Merry Widow of Windy Nook. Yes. Okay. And uh, Mary Wilson was her name, and she, I'm going to start with a quote from uh, an, uh, dog. I, Our dogs are wrestling. No wrestling right now. No, that's Say it one more time. Mary Widow. Of... Mary, like M E R R Y. Yeah. Widow of Windy Nook. Of Windy Nook. Okay, I just have to write it down for when I I'm going to start with a quote from an article from the Mirror.uk by Rachel Bletchley. Okay. Shh, dogs. In her best coat and hat, gray curls neatly set, newlywed Mary Wilson was flushed with excitement as she handed round the nibbles at her wedding reception. But she handed round the nibbles? Yes, that's what it says. Third hubby, Oliver Leonard, 76, a retired real estate agent, looked on proudly as twice-widowed Mary, 68, celebrated their union. He even laughed indulgently when she shocked guests with two of her naughty jokes. A friend asked the bride what she would do with all the spare sandwiches, and Mary quipped, Keep them for the funeral! Because they're old people getting married here. Then she trotted off to chat to the undertaker who had organized her previous partner's burials laughing. I should get a discount for the business I put your way. So, hours later, Mary and Oliver headed back to their home in Windy Nook, County Durham. And two weeks after that, the undertaker was there too for Oliver's corpse. Two weeks later? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He had become the fourth victim. Of his serial killer bride in 26 oh, months. A female serial killer? Yeah. An older so gal? Th- this was about six. British? Yeah. British. So she was um, Mary Wilson, Mary Elizabeth Wilson. She was the last woman in Britain to be sentenced to death. Oh, really? And she is who the band Wilson Phillips named their band after her. And. Um, Just kidding. She. Okay. So she was born Mary Elizabeth Cassidy. Okay. In Catchgate. County Durham on June 11th, 1889. And if you're familiar with this area, please tweet us at History for Jerks or send us a message on Instagram and tell us what's this area like. So she goes, so she, um, when she's a young lady, she becomes, um, works in service for a family called the Knowles. Okay. And she, while she's working there, she gets the hots for the sun. You say Knoll like N O L K N O W L E S. K N O W L E S, the Knoll. So she gets the hots for the son of this family that she's working for. And he's a chimney sweep. His name's John. She gets the screaming thigh sweats is what they call it. And so they get married about 1914. And they settle in Windy Nook. They had three sons and three daughters. Wow. Two of the girls died when they were babies. Shoosh. That that happened a lot. That happened a lot. So. Cholera. Fast forward to when um, John is 76. After 41 years of marriage, yes, he dies in September of 1955, and it was like tuberculosis or something, Okay, supposedly. Supposedly. But they'd been married for 41 years, so 
Well, you know, but now that you've been married to me but, for 20 years, can't you see like the longer? But before he died, they they had taken in a lodger named John Russell. They had taken in a lodger. I was thinking we should take in a lodger. That's the Listen, next step of our marriage. No. No? <laughs> they had taken in a lodger, and a lodger. he was a younger. He was still a an lodger? old guy. He was an old guy, but he was younger. He was um, 65, so he was like wait, 10 years wait, younger. Wait, wait, wait. What's a lodger? Like a somebody who rents a room out of your house. A lodger is that what you call it? Yes. Somebody who's lodging. Yeah. All right. Can we move on, please? <laughs> it just sounds like it sounds weird. All right. So she starts having an affair with John Russell, the lodger. Oh, boy. Before what's his name died, even. And then he dies. And then um, she gets in, you know, she gets together with him and then he dies from natural causes at 65 and now she's becoming a black widow so from the two johns she had inherited about 52 bucks 42 pounds that total that's it yeah oh and i thought you were gonna say a windfall so then I she know. started making it a pattern i know but it's usually what happens jeez so, so in don't june, take in a lodger fellas so in june wife. of 1957 she married retired real estate agent oliver Wait a minute, Oliver Leonard. Yeah, so we're we're going back. We had gone back. Now then, she marries him. Now we're back to the present. We're day back to the present. So now she's That's getting right. married to this old man in 1957, and they're making all these jokes about they're going to die. Right, she's making the jokes. Yeah, and so then within 12 days, he dies of heart failure and pneumonia. Supposedly, that's what it had said on his death certificate. Yeah, she inherited another 50 pounds. So then, 50 pounds is like, all. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess then there was, that's a Still, little bit, but it's not much. Not much. So then, about four months after that, she marries a retired engineer. And they had been, then they they stay married for about 14 days. Oh, a little bit Then longer, she calls way. the doctor and says that his he had taken badly. And then when the doctor got there, he was already cold. Oh, my gosh. And they the doctor said it was heart failure. Yeah, so, now there's a pattern. So now, this time, she had gotten 100 pounds from a co-op account as well as Ernest's bungalow and life insurance. This time, she didn't yeah, even go to the funeral. She's getting stuff now, though, at least. Did she didn't even go to the funeral? Yeah, she didn't even go to the funeral. Sorry, I'm trying to keep these dogs. I know. From the files, um, but the but they started this gossip around the town because of all these little remarks she was saying, like at the wedding when she's talking about. Do you think her thought is, you know, the more I mention this stuff and these jokes, nobody's going to suspect anything. Cause why would I say anything? I, yeah, probably. Yeah. Cause she's an old lady and she can get it. She's an old white woman. She'd get away with anything. Yeah, that's true. So then, you know, like this, um, there was an awful lot of talk in the town um, the gaps between the weddings were short and the marriages themselves were so short. Um, stop it. Stop growling. It's amazing. It's almost amazing she can convince. Hey. It's almost amazing she can convince someone to marry her that fast. So the police get wind of this and they decide we better exhume these bodies and check. Yeah. And so they do. And sure enough, beetle poison. Say it again. Beetle poison. Beetle poison? Yeah. Or rat poison. It could be rat poison. Oh, but... oh, oh. Beetle po poison for beetles. Beetles, yeah. I thought you were like, beetle poison. She was feeding them beetles. No. Dung that beetles. doesn't even I make knew. sense. I know. That's why I was confused. All right. 
I'm so, not very smart. The, a, a pathologist found high levels of phosphorus in the bodies, along with wheat grain, which were both ingredients in beetle and rat poison. Oh, so he. So they question her for six hours. Oh my gosh! She comes home. There's reporters everywhere. She says, "I have nothing to hide." Um, she says, "I've prayed my good name be restored, and I'm confident my prayers will be answered. I ask for no sympathy and will not give in to self pity. All I want is for my name to be cleared and then to live out my life in peace." I'd rather that be more of a cockney. A cockney. When Wilson stood trial in March 1958, her defense suggested the poisonings may have been caused by her husband taking sexual stimulation pills. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe all of them were taking them. But that didn't, nobody believed that. So after a six-day trial, the jury took only 90 minutes to find her guilty of both murders. Yep. She was sentenced to death, the last woman in Britain to be condemned. She showed no reaction as she stood on the dock. Well, you said both, but they didn't. They, the they didn't get the, to the. Well, the I'm getting there. Oh, okay. We'll get to it. Although reports did comment on her flushed cheeks, the bodies of her first husband John Knowles and lover John Russell were exhumed Love later her. and also found to be contained phosphorus poison. So what I can't figure out is why she killed the first ones. Well, she's just know. tired of them. Yeah, the first ones she's just tired. I mean, but she didn't hang because bucks. of her age. Home Secretary Rab Butler later commuted the sentence to life imprisonment. She died five years later in Holloway Prison, age 74. Family members who visited her there said she remained her old self, laughing and joking as if she had no troubles. Um, I guess jail's probably not as bad if you're an old person. But the Mary... But then at the end of this article, it would say, The Mary Widow of Windy Nook always rued the day that her tongue ran away with her as she played the happy hostess. She told her relative plaintively, I may have said at the wedding reception that there were plenty of cakes and sandwiches that might come in useful for the funeral, but in no way was it intended to be taken seriously. Wow. A female, older lady, serial killer from jolly old England. Yep. That's a fun story. I'm glad I know about that one. Oh, good. I wish I would have met that lady. Can Um, we take a a little break? Yeah, we can take a little break. I got to turn on the oven. And then we'll jump back in. Then I'll give me a chance to talk to our listeners about Magic Mind. You see, I have trouble focusing, as you can tell, if you listen to the podcast. Um, and I don't like uh, medicine. I don't like taking medicine that gets me all uh, feeling like I'm hopped up on goofballs. So I look for natural remedies. And uh, in this uh, one little tiny delicious shot called Magic Mind entered the picture. And I enjoy it, and it helps me cut down on caffeine, and it helps me feel like I'm focusing a little bit better, uh, and it's all natural. It's got mushrooms, matcha, lots of other cool things. Check it out at www.magicmind.co. And use American Timelines code ATL. Yeah, I was just reading uh, this article. I don't know if you follow the Waxhaw History no. Facebook page. I do not. Uh, but it was talked about this, the widow of Henry Plyler. Oh. Uh, you, know, you know, all the roads named Plyler yeah. Mill and Plyler yeah. everything. He was, anyway, he went, had to fight in the... Civil War. Oh shit! It was the Revolutionary War. Probably the Civil War. I think it was the Civil War. And uh, they they had a farm. They owned a big farm in Waxhaw, big mm-hmm. bunch of land. And 
they had just had a baby, and then he had to go fight in the Civil War, and he had to go north. And he, at some point, he wrote home knowing he pretty much, he got wounded, he was going to die. Oh. He didn't have much time left, and he said uh, his dying wish was for her to come get his body and bring it to Waxhaw because he wanted to be buried in Waxhaw. So traveling then Ugh. was very- With a corpse? Yeah, with a corpse. It wasn't easy. It wasn't cheap. So she had just her and a baby, and she had to do all this farm work herself. So she sold the farm, sold everything she had just to be able to go get his body. Like, all the money wow. and assets she had in her life oh my God. was to get to go get his body and bring it back. So she lost everything. Jeez. Gets there to the north. To get I, I'd say, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> he gets there to get his body, and it was too late. It had already been buried with a whole bunch of other oh bodies. Oh, my God. And so she came back empty-handed. And had nothing uh, left uh, because it was a, just a baby. Uplifting story. And then was broke uh, mm-hmm. forever. So, okay. How about that? That's a Hallmark movie. That's what you get for fighting for the South, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all that just to keep slavery going. Right. You know, just to yeah. keep being racist. Uh, yeah. Throw it all away. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was just odd. Anyway. So that'll well, let's jump back in and finish up June. Uh, and if it's quick, maybe we'll do July too. I don't know how much in July, but um, June 11th of 1957, 12 people died in a train crash in Roman, Colorado. Oh. 12 migrant farm workers were killed oh. in a train truck crash. Bodies were found scattered over 400 feet. Wow. Uh, five survivors were found, and the train crew was uninjured. And this was uh, an article in the Desert Sun. Uh, apparently, the pickup truck taking them to southeastern Colorado sugar beet fields was struck by a Santa Fe Railroad freight train on a crossing. Uh, the dead were all from Rocky Cord, Colorado, uh, included men, women, and children. Authorities said it would be some time before they were identified. Bodies were scattered at least 400 feet, as I said. A tr- truck was reported turning off 11 South Highway 50 to go to a farm when it was hit by the tram. Uh, Sylvester Ocano of Rocky Ford was driving the truck, and he was killed. The Colorado State Patrol said Ocano apparently was blinded by the sun and failed to see the approaching train. None of the train crew. There's probably no. Injured. There's probably no oh, things no that come down or anything. Yeah. yeah. Engineer W.S. Inskeep was too upset to talk. Authorities said the state patrol said the truck was a mass of twisted steel, and oh, most of the man. victims were thrown clear by the impact. Man. Um, yep. So that's sad. Mm-hmm. And then come June fifteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, the Yankees traded Billy Martin and Ralph Terry for Ryan Duran. That was the fallout from the Copacabana mm-hmm. incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trade worked out well for the Yankees because the minor league players they traded didn't amount to anything, and Duran Duran was a great relief pitcher for them. Uh, so there you go. Okay. And Martin was devastated. Billy Martin was very upset. He didn't have the passion for putting on any other uniforms. Uh, and his but his first game with the A's was actually against the Yankees. Oh man. Uh, and he played well in that game, but didn't do much after that. Um, and by 1960, he was with Cincinnati, and he was sued for punching a Cubs pitcher, 
Jim Brewer during a benches clearing brawl. Oh my god! Yeah. And then on June seventeenth, nineteen fifty-seven, that began a Tuskegee boycott, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, black people boycotted city stores. Uh, residents of Macon County joined a selective buying campaign known as the Tuskegee boycott to protest Local Act one hundred and forty state legislation that redrew Tuskegee boundaries to deprive the city's eligible black people of their right to vote in city yeah. elections. Yeah, that's happening all the time yep. now. For more more than three and a half years, black protesters led by Tuskegee Civil Association, TCA, refused to shop at white-operated Tuskegee businesses, forcing bankruptcies and closures and focusing national attention on Alabama's denial of black voting rights. Good. And so it, it actually worked. Good. It took a little while, but... Um, it worked because that's the thing. These big majority black areas, yeah, you know, need the money, disenfranchise them. But somebody's running those businesses, uh, and so they'll just shop at black businesses. So fuck you, man. Um, so there yeah, you go. sorry, I got the hiccups. That was in court, according to the Encyclopedia of Alabama dot org. And then on June twenty seventh, nineteen fifty seven, was Hurricane Audrey. Uh oh. Which killed 526 people in Louisiana and Texas. In the era before there were weather satellites, it was harder to predict when a hurricane would strike and the timing of a storm's arrival. Back then, only ground based radar near the shore could capture the crude outline of a hurricane as it drew near the coastline. Uh, For the people of Cameron, Louisiana, the warnings came too late to get to safety. A high death toll was blamed on the incompleteness of evacuations when the storm suddenly increased its forward motion. And then I actually looked up, there was a there was a, a lawsuit from this, Barty v. United States mm-hmm. in 1963. Uh, Whitney Barty, along with hundreds of others, sued the U.S. federal government, asserting that the U.S. Weather Bureau had failed to give proper and accurate warnings on Hurricane Audrey and its effects. Barty and his family had concluded that there was no need to evacuate, following a 10 p.m. Central news broadcast on June 26th, the night before Audrey made landfall. The family was awoken the following morning by water flooding their house, forcing them to climb onto the roof. The winds and and rising water killed all in Barty's family except Whitney. Uh, Whitney's claim was two-pronged, with the first point alleging that the Weather Bureau was negligent in their warnings, and the second alleging that despite experiencing... The full brunt of the storm, Weather Bureau advisories advising the evacuation of those at lower elevations did not implicate him. Whitney thought, sought $360,000 in damages from the federal government. A hurricane expert testifying for the Weather Bureau suggested that Audrey's deviation from the forecast path were as accurate as could be expected at the time. The uh, track error on a 24-hour hurricane forecast averaged 100 to 125 miles. It ended up getting dismissed because they felt like Whitney had failed to establish negligence on the part of the Weather Bureau. Okay. And then June 27th, that same day, the British Medical Research Council publishes a report suggesting a direct link between smoking and lung cancer. Oh, because everybody smoked back then. Because everybody smoked. So do we want to just end it, even though we're... Yeah, because though it's otherwise May it'll June, goof me up. And now I have to do July-August? No, let's do... Yeah, let's do July... Let's end it now and do July-August. Okay. We'll do July, August. Next time, thank you for listening, Thank jerks. you, everybody. Yeah, we like that you listen, and we like that you rate, review, and subscribe. And shout out to our new Instagram person who said, 
poor Amy. Yes. Shout out, sister. Yeah. Amy Feel my pain. Amy appreciates your sympathy. Yes. Uh, and, oh, that was uh, Anik. Oh, I lost it. Anik999 something. Anyway, shout out to you on Instagram. Interact with us. We'll shout you out. That's We're right. We're not afraid to shout you out. We're not afraid. Say something to us. Say hey. Say hello. We Say, also how's have, it hanging? We also today, I got a new Facebook follower and who works for Walmart directly for Sam Walton. And they were responding to us talking about Sam Walton, the original Walmart. Oh. And saying, oh, he was a great guy to be rolling over in his grave if he knew how Walmarts were today. Oh, gosh. People. Yeah. She said he treated people great. I can't remember who that is. More details on that later. Okay. But thanks for listening, it's everybody. Time to get out of here, Chuck Sorry Barry. about my voice. Sorry, he sounds like... It's um, going around, man. It's yeah. going around. Stay be healthy, careful. Be healthy. Yeah. Yeah, stay healthy. Watch drink. your hands. Yeah, wash your hands a lot. Drink orange juice. I have just now started washing my hands. Yep, because he never did I before. never did before, so now I'm going to. And bathing. And I'm going to start... I'm going to stop using my bare hands to wipe. Yep, yeah, please. And I will wash my balls. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Time to get out of here. Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Did I, I did already. Okay. And thanks for the challenge, baby. I blow it. I can sing you a song, but you already know it. And you know it's okay if you think it's a shame. Because a record call on me by Michael K. The ladies of the 80s, they've been treating me fine. And so I don't really care if I'm a few years behind. I stood in the studio without an idea. I'm living on Royal. Matt Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Buy their music.